This is Joyce Maynard. Welcome back to Telling Your Story. If you tuned in to our last segment, you know that we've been talking about a question that probably comes up more than any other for writers of personal narrative. And that is, how do you tell uncomfortable truths without hurting the people you love? Or maybe people you don't love, but you may still feel an obligation and responsibility to protect them. And this is such an important subject that one segment was not enough. So Anne and I are going to continue our conversation about the stakes of being an honest writer. Where we left off, I was suggesting to Anne how good it would feel to help other people feel less alone with their own stories when she tells hers. I know when I sit down to write, I don't ever imagine that I'm going to be able to tell anybody else what they should do with their life. I simply know what I need to do with mine, which is to tell what happened and make sure while I'm doing it that I'm telling the truth. You know, we live in a world where so often people do not tell the truth, even in very small ways. When was the last time when somebody met you at the store and asked you how you're doing, you said, I'm depressed. I feel terrible. Maybe sometimes you do, but in ways both small and large, so often we do not tell the truth of our story. And specifically because that's the case, it means so much when we do. Well, it's funny that seems so obvious now because it's certainly the reason why I'm an avid reader and I love to read. And just the other day, I read about Susan Sontag. Susan Sontag, yeah. I've never read anything that she's written, but another person is describing her writing as beaming a light on little squibbles on a page that illuminate a feeling that you didn't even know you had. Yep. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's it right there. That's it. That's, that's why it. I love to read. The issue that you're grappling with, of course, speaks very very closely to one I've dealt with because, as you know from reading my work, I grew up in an alcoholic family. And mm. we're about the same age. At the time that I grew up, I'm not sure that this has completely changed now. I don't think it has, but it was more dramatic then in the 50s, 50s and 60s, and early 70s. Nobody talked about having an alcoholic parent. Nobody in my world did. I actually believed that I was the only person in the world whose father got drunk. We were a family that talked about so much, so openly, art, music, politics, religion, sex, even money. And but not never, never the one experience that most shaped our days. Every night my father got drunk and every morning we sat at the breakfast table and pretended it never happened. And I don't need to tell you that that had a profound effect on me. I felt ashamed. I felt alone, number one. And I felt ashamed. I had to keep this secret. And I think that laid the groundwork for a lot of other secret keeping. And when I did write about my father's drinking, of course, I discovered how many other people shared that. And that was, was certainly helpful for me, but it was helpful for them. You know, sometimes people come to my writing workshops, embark on taking my online classes, I don't get to meet those people usually, unfortunately, but they have the idea of writing a self-help book. They've gone through a difficult experience and now they're going to tell how to do it. And 
I'm sure there's a place for those books. I happen to believe that the most effective way of helping people, and I know you're a social worker, so this may you know, resonate with you, or maybe you disagree, which is also fine. The most likely way of helping people is not to say, do this, here's what I, you know, I advise, but simply to say, here's what I did, make of it what you will. And if you tell it really honestly and well, you are basically shining a light on the problem in ways that will illuminate it. I have to ask you, when you wrote about your dad and the alcoholism and the crazy making that that must have made you feel as a child, was your dad still alive? No, my father's dead. Uh, I should say both my parents were dead by the time I published At Home in the World. So I didn't have some of the issues that many people do. My children were and are alive and well, thank God. So they were there. My ex-husband, who features in that story, was present. As a teacher of writing, I always say, write as if you're an orphan. It happened that I am an orphan and that I was an orphan by that time. My parents died when I was quite young. But whether or not they're alive, I believe that you must write absolutely with absolute freedom to tell your truth. Even if later you have to put it in a drawer. I don't actually believe that in the case of your story, you should put it in a drawer. But even if you did, you will still be better and stronger and wiser and more powerful for having told the story than you would have been for having silenced your own self. I've taught hundreds of people in my memoir workshops. A woman came to my workshop a few years ago who was the daughter of a very, very, very wealthy family and a family in which terrible abuse had occurred. And she said to me very plainly after you know this whole week in which we worked together where the theme is you get to tell your truth, you own your story, you owe it to yourself to tell the honest story. She said, for me... If I tell this honest story, assuming somebody publishes it, that's kind of a big leap, but let's imagine that it might have been, I will not inherit several million dollars. That's a different kind of problem, you know? Um, So do I have a right to make that choice for her? No, I do not. Those are different kind of stakes. You have high stakes of a different sort, you know? Can you maybe save your sister's life or extend her life? or allow her to live as an honest woman before she dies, an honest woman unclouded by liquor and able to see and speak clearly of what has happened. There are all kinds of stakes, but whether you see your way to publishing work, whether or not anybody wants to publish the work, I think it's really important not to be considering that while you're writing. Writing well is hard enough as it is, but to add onto it the burden of, you know, oh, will I still get invited to Thanksgiving dinner? Will my mother be mad at me? Will my children be upset? That's too much to put on yourself. Write it the right way and then think, what can I do about this? That's helpful. I like that. I guess I'd heard you say that before, but just to capture that full thought, write as if you are an orphan. Yeah. Because as I would write, I would say, what if my sister read that paragraph? What would she think? What if her daughter saw that? Can I live with her husband reading that sentence? You've just opened up another really important question. And that one is, what do you have to lose? How are things right now? 
I'll begin with your sister's children because I identify with the child of an alcoholic. Okay. You said, what if my sister's daughter reads what I've written about her drinking? She knows her mother drinks. Mm. She knows her mother is an alcoholic. She may not have used the word, but what has she seen? She's seen her mother go into the hospital. She's seen her mother's eyeballs turn yellow. She's seen her mother's belly be distended. She's seen her mother carrying a drink around in the morning. She's lived with all of that. Are you telling her anything she doesn't know? No, but I'm putting those words on paper. It's like I'm telling the story. I'm making it real. Mm -hmm. And Um, so do we not want to make stories real? Do we want to enable... I'm not one for catchwords, so ideally, the word denial would never appear in your essay, although this is an essay about denial. Mm. But is denial something that we want to perpetuate in the way we live our lives? Other people may choose to pretend something isn't happening, but do we have to buy into that? If 100 people in a crowd are seeing a man being brutalized by a policeman, do we have to say, I guess I don't want to let them know that that's going on or say, I'm not okay with this. Oh, Joyce, in your next life, you should probably be a therapist. (laughs) Because, you know, I never presume. I always begin my workshops and by saying I am not a therapist. I don't pretend to be a therapist. But there is no way to enter into the territory of memoir without entering into the territory of what is a healthy life. Well, and you're so you're so right because putting this on paper aside, one of the challenges I have when I go visit her, which is really the same as the issue about writing about it, is do I go in and I'm positive and kind of collude with her narrative about where she's going to put her geraniums and what did she have for supper last night? And pretend right along with her? Mm -hmm. Or do I talk to her about a will? Or does she know she's going to die? And maybe there's something in between asking about the geraniums and (laughs) talking about the will. And maybe she's not ready to talk about the will. And that's her choice. You can't make her talk about the will. What you can do is draw a line for yourself and say, I am not going to stand by and watch this. I'm sorry. You're killing yourself, and I am here for you to help you. And again, I don't want to be a therapist, so I'm not going to give you a bunch of suggestions of what you say to yourself. Going back to the writing part, I will just say, your sister's children have already lived with the hardest parts of this story. And it's not for me to say what they need, but is it, in fact, serving them well for you to do what way too many people, including the doctor, evidently, when I read your story, even the doctor, even as he's giving the diagnosis of cirrhosis is not saying where it came from. Everybody's, you know, towing the line of like, oh, we'll keep this quiet. We'll make it nice. Nobody can make you buy into that. This story may or may not be helpful, but I'll share it anyway. You know, people made the biggest deal that everybody made about at home in the world was, you know, the idea that I was betraying this great man, J.D. Salinger, in telling about that relationship. For me, a much bigger question of ethics that I had to consider in the writing of that book, I had to do not with Salinger, 
but it had to do with my children's father, my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. I'm not married to him anymore, but we were equal partners in the creation of this family. And by the point that I wrote that book, I was divorced from him and we were not friends. There was a story, if you read the book, you may remember this story that involved the night of my older son's birth and a very painful event that occurred that night. Um, My children were all born at home. And as things unfolded, that son, whose privacy I will maintain here, he came very fast. The whole labor was sort of in the space of about half an hour. So the midwife didn't make it. Wow. Um, It was not his father's finest hour. He said in the middle of this extremely intense labor alone in the house with him, our four-year-old upstairs, he said, I think I'm going to have a cigarette. And he (laughs) did go and have a cigarette. Um, My children knew a lot of things that had happened in my life. I'd been pretty open because I grew up in a family that wasn't. But that was one story that I never told. And I carried that with me. I felt it. It was lodged in my, I won't even say my brain. It was lodged in my body. I was angry at their father Mm. about that in ways that I never fully forgave him for. I used to ask him to say he was sorry. I could almost say that that night was the beginning of the end of our marriage, although we did go on to have another child. But my son had never heard that story. And in fact, he had heard just the opposite. He had heard the story of his father's heroic delivery of him alone in the house that night because he came back from his cigarette and it was just the two of us and he did all the right things and cut the cord and everything turned out fine. And it was probably, I'm sure it was the right decision to not tell him that story when he was six or eight or 10. But at the point that I was writing at home in the world, he was 15 or 16 and I had to make the decision, does that story go in that book or not? If the only reason to put it in that book was because I was mad at his father and I wanted to stick it to his father, it did not belong in that book. But it belonged in that book for a very different reason. It was a part of my journey, the journey that included a marriage and a divorce and a lot of bitterness that, in fact, I had not successfully protected my son from. He knew that part of the story. He knew that I was angry at his father. But he did not have the information, actually, that would have helped him make sense of his life. It was actually, quite dramatically, the very first thing that happened in his life on Earth was something I'd never told him. And I did not want him to read it in the pages of a book. I did not want to ask him permission. In your letter, you asked, should you ask Mm -hmm. your sister's permission? And I don't believe in asking permission because... Implicit in asking permission is that if they say, no, I don't give you permission, you deny yourself the right to tell the truth. And I believe you have that right. But I did want to tell him what I was going to do. And in those days, you could still get a teenager's attention in a car because there weren't cell phones yet. So we headed out on the highway. I was driving him to school. And I I said, there's something I want to tell you about that I'm going to put in this book. And I thought you should know about it first. And I had a knot in my stomach, Anne. I was just, I'd been thinking about this for days. And I, I think I talked to a couple of friends about how I was going to broach this. And I told the story in the least dramatic way possible. And you know what happened after I told him? He kind of smiled. He kind of chuckled. He said, well, that sure sounds like my dad. <laughs> and he loves his dad. Yeah. He doesn't love his dad for being the best possible guy to be alone in a little house in the end of a dirt road in New Hampshire in the middle of winter giving birth with. You know, he loves his dad for a different set of reasons. And he knows yeah. his dad is and is not. And yeah. I think 
all of the characters in this story know who your sister is. You're the one who is naming it. And is that a terrible thing or is that a brave thing? What do we do when a child is afraid that there's a monster under the bed and they live with that terror? I know what I did. I took a flashlight and looked under the bed. If there's something to be afraid of, let's shine a light on it, look at it, and then say, well, what do we do about this now? That's helpful. That story about your son, because you're absolutely right. Everybody already knows. Yeah. He knew. He didn't have words to describe that right. particular instance. Yeah. Kids yeah. know. And he loves his dad anyway. Yeah. And your sister is a person you love. And that is going to come through in your writing. You know, in At Home in the World, I tell some very hard stories, not only about Salinger, but about my mother and my father and my ex-husband. And I didn't write them out of a spirit of revenge or bitterness because all of those people had deeply lovable things about them too. If you come from a place of love, or at least forgiveness, your reader will feel it. Hmm. So when we come back to wrap up our important discussion about writing difficult stories that involve somebody other than us, I'll be finishing my conversation with Anne, and I hope giving you some ideas that will help you move forward in the telling of your own difficult story. Joyce Maynard's podcast, Telling Your Story, can be found at JoyceMaynard.com. You'll find a new episode exploring different aspects of the art and craft of writing memoir every week. For more in-depth discussion of the writing process, check out Joyce Maynard's classes at CreativeLive.com. Or better yet, join her at one of her in-person workshops. Details on this and much more at JoyceMaynard.com. <laughs>